Uh, if you have your Bibles and you'd like to, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at the second half of the chapter. We're going to cover a lot of territory this morning. Uh, we're going to do this in a, in a different way than I normally uh, provide or present a sermon. I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty traditional preacher as opposed to a preacher who tends to teach through his message. I'm, I'm a little more of just uh, preaching, looking at the, at the message, and not so much going into specific detail on a lot of different um, points. But this morning, I'm going to take a little bit more of a teaching bent uh, to this passage of Scripture. And so if you look in the Seasons Weekly, there is a page that says Scripture and Notes. Uh, and if you're a note taker, you don't have to do this, but if you tend to be a note taker, uh, you're going to want to follow along on this particular page this morning. Uh, the format that's on this page wouldn't fit on the screen uh, in a way that you could actually see it four rows back. The, the print was too small. But we're going to talk about the opportunities of faith. What, is it, what are the opportunities before us to grow in faith? What are the obstacles uh, of that faith? And then we're going to look at the outcome. What if we actually do decide to live by faith? And we're going to do that in three ways this morning. The first section, which is already filled in for you, we're going to go back and look at the... Uh, the comments that Paul makes about Abraham and his experience, his journey of faith. Uh, then we're going to look at how that first step of faith is taken. And then the last part of the sermon, we're going to discuss the opportunities, obstacles, and outcome of a growing faith. Uh, putting my faith in Christ, where do I go from here, so to speak? If, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, if I've made that decision to trust in him for my salvation, how do I, how do I grow and mature? So that's kind of the way it'll fold out. So if you want to take notes, the, the, as it comes up on the screen, you'll be able to follow along. So this is a little bit different than kind of how we normally, uh, how I normally uh, do sermons at Green Tree. Um, but as I was thinking about this text this week, I was reminded of uh, the very early days of Green Tree. When I first became a pastor at Green Tree, one of the jobs that I was given uh, with the governing body, which is called a presbytery. You don't need to worry about that, but it's kind of the regional group of churches. Uh, as, the, as the first pastor of Green Tree, I was tasked with the responsibility of choosing the first elders to serve in our congregation. Uh, every year after that, the congregation votes on that. You all choose the elders, but uh, right out of the gate for a new church, the, the first pastor is responsible to do that. So I spent a year looking at, you know, different guys and, and, and their gifts and uh, their relationships with business and, and their occupations and their marriages and their parenting. And I, and I prayerfully said, okay, Lord, who are the first leaders of Green Tree? To a man, the guys that ended up being in that room for our first meeting ended up being a group of, of men of whom I have uh, unlimited respect uh, for this particular reason. Uh, every one of them... not well-spoken, strong leaders, very willing to make their points in conversation. But every one of them had the gift of humility. Every one of them really approached their role as an elder, as a servant elder. And in one of our very first meetings, the, the, the thought was put out, you know, a good theme for our session would be, for our elders would be, let's try not to mess it up too badly. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Uh, a lot of guys come in and say, you know, I'm here to save the day. Aren't you glad that I've arrived? But the men who were, who were the founding elders of Green Tree didn't have that, that notion at all. In fact, Scott Holly probably summed it up best for us when he said, and we say from time to time here at Green Tree, we may be idiots, but we're God's idiots. There's a sense of understanding that apart from God's power, apart from God's redemption, we really don't have the strength to form and create a worshiping body of believers. We really need God to intervene and to move us forward. And so that humility is, is outstanding, but I also uh, have observed over the years 
that it's not the whole story. We don't stop there. The goal of the session is not just to kind of limp by and try not to mess it up. If I stood up here and said, you know, the ultimate goal of our session is just to try not to make mistakes, you would say, that's the worst goal I've ever heard of in my life. There needs to be more than just that. When you think about this in terms of your faith, how many of us come into our relationship with Christ and say, boy, I really hope I don't mess it up too badly. I hope when I stand before God, the first thing out of his mouth isn't, boy, let me tell you all the places where you really got it wrong. I'm so disappointed in you. And so I think while the humility in Christ is a very good thing, it is not the only aspect of our faith. The goal is not to avoid bad. The goal is not to avoid trying to do wrong things. The goal is to be transformed by the power of God the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, so that our hearts actually are changed, our way of thinking is changed, so that we see the world, we see our lives, we see our priorities, we see our marriages, we see the decisions we make professionally and personally through the lens of a growing faith in Christ. And just as our session has said, you know, yes, we we know we need God's power and we are not arrogant in any way, we've also said we don't want to just limp home. We don't want to just barely cross the finish line. We hope and pray that God will take our faith and will use it for great things in his kingdom. So the individual disciple, each one of us, should not be saying, you know, it'll just be enough if I barely get across the finish line. Rather, each one of us should say, Lord, how can you grow within me a dynamic and maturing faith in Christ Jesus? Romans chapter 4 and, and half of Romans chapter 3, where we've been for about the last three or four weeks, Paul has a very explicit goal in mind. The author of Romans is teaching disciples that they need to be firm in their thinking and firm in their understanding and conviction that the righteousness of God, this perfect union of his justice and his mercy, are not applied to us because of our effort. We don't gain access to the righteousness of God by our good works. Rather, we stand in this grace by faith in Christ. That is the explicit message. If you read with any kind of care and attention at all, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, through the end of chapter 4, you can't miss it. Paul says it's not works, it is by faith. And he sets up Abraham as a model, and and he points us to Abraham's faith in the promises of God. But I think there's an implicit intention as well. And I want to turn our attention to the implicit message of Romans chapter 4 this morning, because I believe in between the lines, so to speak, what Paul is saying is, I want you disciples of Jesus to grow in your faith. I want you to learn to see the world and all the decisions you make and all the priorities you set through your journey of faith. In other words, he's is interested in us understanding the theology as, as interested he is in that, he also is vitally interested in the practical application of this truth. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, the second half of the chapter. Hear the word of God. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherents of the law are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace 
and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherit of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. I'm going to stop there for just one second. Paul is not saying that there is an adherent to the law. There is a person out there who can't perfectly obey the law. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying there, there might be somebody who could do a good enough job to earn their salvation. He's saying that there are those who believe that the law is the way to go, and there are those who have no knowledge of the law. And for everybody, it is faith, not good works. So he, he is not drawing that distinction. I want to be careful about that. He goes on to quote, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of... Careful about that. He goes on to whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or would he consider the barrenness of Sarah's womb? No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not uh, written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning for your illumination, for your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Father, we've sung this morning, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.'" It's so sweet to, to rest on him. And yet, Father, so often our lives don't reflect that trust. They don't reflect that faith. They either uh, reflect a, a kind of a giving up because we've worked real hard, but we just know we haven't been able to make it, uh, or a persistent guilt because we know we've fallen short. Father, you want to create faith in our hearts, not works. Our faith will lead to our works. There's no question about that. But we have to get the order right. And we have to understand that the security of our salvation and the maturity of our ongoing relationship with you is built upon faith. Father, I can't explain that. I can't do justice to that idea. My words are inconsequential. But your eternal word, your perfect word, can reveal that to our hearts. So, Father, teach us this morning by your power, by your Holy Spirit, by your word to trust completely in Jesus. Father, forgive me my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's begin this morning with the biblical background or with the Old Testament background, the example that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 4 about the opportunity to walk by faith. What is, the, what is the opportunity? And he uses Abraham as an example. So real quickly as a review, uh, and, and we actually have a sermon series on uh, Genesis. You can go back and listen to some of that on the podcast if you'd like to. Uh, but Abraham was given a threefold promise by God. The first one was that he would inherit a land. Now, the land happened to be the land of Canaan, which is where now present-day Israel is. But that was the first promise. And Abraham was told, leave your family and go to this land. I'll give it to you. The second promise was that he would become a great nation. Now, Abraham and his wife had no children. 
And yet God promised him, he took him outside one night and he said, look up at the stars. Now they were not in St. Louis where there's a lot of light going around. You look up and you count about 40 or 50 stars. They were out in the middle of the desert and there were no lights around them whatsoever. And in, and if you've had that experience, you know there's no way possible to count the stars. And that was God's point. If you can count those stars, you can count your offspring. And Abraham's like, don't have any yet, but that's what God says. I have the opportunity to believe. The third thing he said was that through your offspring, through one of your children, not offspring plural, but offspring singular, through one of your descendants, the entire world will be blessed. One who comes from you will be the one who will bless the entire world. So Abraham has the opportunity to believe that threefold uh, blessing. And that's why Paul writes in verse 13 of chapter 4, the promise to Abraham, okay, the threefold promise, and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. God said to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. You now have the opportunity to believe, to put your faith in me. Now, did Abraham have any obstacles of that faith? You know, a lot of folks say, well, you know, if I would lived in Bible times and I had everything, you know, God talking to me face to face and had all these things worked out so simply, I'd have great faith too. That's kind of like a fairy tale, you know, pretty simple that they all live happily ever after. Uh, I would suggest that's ignoring great chunks of scripture. Abraham had very real obstacles in his way. They had no children. And as Paul puts it, his body was as good as dead. Uh, Abraham was 80 years old when he first received the promise, and it was another 20 years before Isaac was born. And so Paul says his body's as good as dead. Uh, I just started working out again. Just joined the lodge a couple of weeks ago. Started working out again. I really resonate with the body as good as dead theme. I, I get it. I understand it. The, the, the first day after my workout, I was like, wow, this isn't bad. The second day I got out of bed, I'm glad there was nobody in the bedroom. I stepped. I had no... All I had was pain in my right leg, and I fell down. And so while I'm down here, I might as well have my prayer time. So I, I get the whole body as, as good as dead thing. But, but Abraham really had it way beyond what I'm talking about. No person in their right mind would believe that somebody 100 years old who has not been able to produce a child and whose wife has been barren all of the years of their lives, they've probably been married since she was 15 or 16 years old, there would be no way in the world that they would be able to produce a child. This is a very real obstacle. A lot of you have heard this story before if you've been at Green Tree for a while. Some of you may haven't. But our oldest son, Nathan, when he was real little, uh, we were working in youth ministry and not making a whole bunch of money and things were tight. And uh, I had a couple speaking engagements one summer and had a little extra money. We went to the toy store. I said, you can pick out any toy you want. Well, Nate's been to this toy store plenty of times, but he knew every time he went, he had like, you know, $2 or $3. So he goes to pick out something pretty simple. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You have the entire toy store. Go pick anything out you want. So he kind of got bolder and picked something a little bit bigger. And I said, you're still not getting it. it. What do you want? It's all yours. And finally, the lights came on. And he went and got with these little toy cars that you sit in. He's got a battery and you drive. And we took it home. We put it all together and, and we sent him out in the yard and we looked out in the yard and we looked out in the window and there was his little sister, sister Katie who somehow commandeered the car and was driving across the yard and he was holding on the back, dragging his feet, screaming, stop, Katie, stop, which she did right when she hit the tree. So, and not a lot has changed since then. Katie's a really wonderful, Katie, I know you're listening to this on iPod. You really are a good driver. Okay. Nate had a hard time getting his mind around what I said to him. Son, believe me when I tell you you can get anything you want. Now, that was a one-time deal with him. We, we didn't get to do that every time we went to the, to the store. But God said to Abraham, get your mind around this, son. I'm going to bless the entire world through you. 
There's no way you're going to be able to count your offspring. And Abraham had some serious obstacles before he could bite that off and believe it. The scripture says he believed God. He had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. But if you don't think Abraham's temptation to to not believe was real, I think you misunderstand the text. What was the outcome of his belief? Well, we see it in verses 20 and, uh, and 24 and 25, which we'll put on the screen in just a second. But the first thing that Paul says, he grew strong in his faith, that Abraham started on the journey of faith. That moment he said, okay, Lord, I believe that you're going to do this. That was his first step, his conversion, so to speak, his first step of faith, but that was not his last step. His entire life was a journey of faith. And so Paul rightly acknowledges that he grew. The faith that Abraham had when he was in his mid-100s was not the faith he had when he was 80. He had all those years to grow in his faith, and that was one of the outcomes, that this faith, believing in God, took on a dynamic nature in his life, and it moved him to spiritual maturity. The end of which, Paul says, and again, we'll put it on the screen in a second, is he gave glory to God. Abraham realized he wasn't the hero of the story. Abraham realized that, that his faith was in God who would do this, and he trusted God. And the net result of that, as he saw these things unfold time after time after time, he didn't pat himself on the back and say, what a great faith I have. He gave glory to God. He gave credit where credit was due would be a way we would say it in our day and age. And that is an outcome of a growing dynamic faith. Your eyes get off of yourself. You don't take credit for the things that happen in your life that come out of faith, but rather you say, Lord, thank you that you would allow me to be part of what you're doing and you get all the glory and the honor and the majesty. Beyond that, if you want to play it out to our lives, the reason we're here this morning is because part of the outcome of Abraham's faith was that Jesus was actually born. One of his offspring did come in the form of our Savior, Jesus. And he did, as Paul says, well, again, we'll put the verse up in a second. He died for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification. That's just a way of saying that our salvation belongs to him. And so the outcome of the faith of Abraham is a benefit to you and to me this morning. He has become a blessing to all of human history. Verse 20 says this, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. And then in verses 24 and 25, the application to us, not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead the Lord Jesus, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There are very real opportunity of Abraham to have faith, very real obstacles, but a very real outcome. Well, how about you and me? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, the first area is what we're going to call the area of justification. Now, when I say justification, um, that's a big fancy word that simply means being made legally right before God. In other words, the crime has been paid for. You are now innocent of all guilt and you are free to be in a relationship with God uh, from all of that, the, the tarnishment of sin and the, and the wrongdoings that we have committed. We have the opportunity to trust that the promise of grace through Jesus is true and embrace the faith of our father Abraham. I want to go back to verse 24 for just a minute. The promise is for us who work real hard and do our best. No, the promise is for us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. That's the opportunity that's before us this morning. A lot of you maybe have already taken advantage of that opportunity, but maybe for some of you, you're saying, you know what? I've never put my faith in Christ and I'm not sure I want to. Well, let's talk about some of those obstacles. What may be standing in the way of you taking the very first step of faith? Well, you may be under the impression that you're a pretty good person. 
And you don't really need a Savior. You know, the, 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 the Savior's for the guys that are really bad. My dad became a Christian later on in life. This was a huge hang-up of his early on. I'm a pretty good guy. I do pretty good stuff. What do you mean that God isn't going to let me into heaven because I've, I've behaved in a certain way? That might be a very real obstacle for you this morning. Second obstacle might be that you just don't believe the Bible's true. You know, you took a college class somewhere where a professor said, you know, everybody knows the Bible isn't true. Um, and, and a lot of people I talk with this in this topic, and I want to try to say this respectfully, but most people with whom I've had a conversation that lead with this, well, we all know the Bible isn't true. When I fi- ask how much you've read of Scripture, you haven't read any of it. Or you've read a verse here or a verse there. And with all due respect, if you're going to say the Bible isn't true, you might want to take some time to read it and to study it. One of the great things about Green Tree Community Church is we are not really, our ultimate concern is that you know Christ. But if you come in here and you say, you know what, I'm a committed atheist and I want to stay that way, but I'd love to read the Bible and try and figure out what it means, we would welcome you. We got lots of of community groups you can get in and study the Bible. There's no prerequisite to believe in God. This is a great place to come in and try and figure out if what Scripture says might be true. But that's a very real obstacle for lots of folks. Another obstacle for people is the idea, you know, God wouldn't send me to hell. You know, that's, that's kind of where the Hitler's going. You know, the people that are awful, the, the people that, you know, molest children or the, you know, the, the, the murderers, you know, the maniacal people, that's, that's where those folks go. But most of the other good people, you know, we end up in the right place. And again, with all due respect, and as graciously I can say it, because I know my own heart, you have grossly overestimated the goodness within your soul. I know your soul is corrupt because I know my soul is corrupt. And I know the soul of every person in this room is corrupt apart from the grace of God in Christ. That may be hard to hear, but it's true. We've also grossly underestimated the holiness of God. If you think for one moment God's going to turn a blind eye to your sin or to my sin, you don't understand the beauty and the majesty and the perfection of God that cannot abide one tiny speck of sin in his presence. I was having a cup of coffee with a friend one time, and he said, how have I offended God? I haven't offended God. And my response was, how much time do you have? If you really want to answer the question, we can dig, and I'll start with telling you how I've offended God, and you can see if any of your stuff matches up with my stuff. But those are very real obstacles. But the opportunity is before you nonetheless to take a step of faith and believe in Christ. If you do, what's the outcome? How how, how does this uh, work in your life? Well, the first is that our sin is paid for. Jesus, the justifier, uh, allows us to come into relationship with God forever. We will, we will join Father Abraham, so to speak. Uh, we, the, the verse on the board, again, coming back to, to uh, verse 25, right? Uh, what happens? Um, this for us, right? What did he do? He was raised, Jesus was raised from that who delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We're made right by the act of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection so that we can spend eternity with God. That's the outcome, not of your works, not of your efforts, not, not of, not of your, your uh, arrogance that says, I'm going to do it by myself. It's the outcome of faith. The promise of God was good to Abraham. The promise of God is good to you and to me as well. But there are people in this room, probably lots of people in this room, that actually say, okay, Tom, I've taken that first step of faith. I've, I've put my, my, my belief in Christ for salvation. I'm tracking with Father Abraham. Uh, so what's in it for me? And where I'd like to go for just a couple minutes this morning is talking about another big word, our sanctification. When I say sanctification, you just think growing in faith. So, uh, you know, a baby is here when they're born, and then when they're a year old, they've matured this much, and five years this much, and ten years this much, and eventually they become adults, and so on and so forth. In the same way, when you come to Christ, your faith is kind of a baby faith, and you begin to go on the journey 
of following Christ. And that's the opportunity that's before many of us this morning. It's the opportunity that we've had maybe for quite some time as those who believe in Christ. Again, coming back to what Paul said about Abraham in verse 20. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but let me read it for you one more time. All right? He grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. There was no, uh, there was no distrust in him. No waver concerning the promises of God. That opportunity for Abraham to have a growing faith, to not waver, to not distrust, is the same for every disciple of Jesus. That's the opportunity before us this morning. What are the obstacles? What may be standing in our way? Let me toss out a couple of those. First, my faith may tend to be built on favorable circumstances. Maybe somewhere along the line, somebody said, if you follow Jesus, you love Jesus, your problems will go away, you'll get rich, you'll never get sick, your kids will turn out perfect, and, and it really is kind of fairy tale happily ever after. And, and what they've done is they've misunderstood the promises that are for the world to come, and they've applied them to this world. This world is filled with brokenness, and God doesn't promise to take the brokenness away from us. God doesn't say you're going to now live in a bubble where you have no problems. God doesn't say you're now going to live in a world where you never get sick and you never are tempted with sin and you're never going to struggle. God says, I am with you in those moments. What does the psalmist say? I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say God took me out of the valley. He says, I won't fear any evil. Why? Because you are with me. One of the obstacles in our way is an obstacle that we create, which is a misunderstanding, a misappropriation of Scripture. And we say, well, if I'm doing well, if everything is okay, my faith is what it should be. But if it's not, then where has God gone wrong? A second obstacle that could stand in our way is that we forget, I do this a lot, I tend to forget my need for God's grace. I tend to diminish my need for a Savior. After you've been a Christian for a while, if you're not careful, you can forget it's about grace through faith, and you kind of lapse back in, even subconsciously, to a works mentality. I better be a good person. You know, I, I, I do something wrong. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm rude to somebody. I look around and I go, boy, I hope nobody from church is around here to see what I just did, <laughs> right? And we lapse pretty quickly back into this works mentality. And we forget that our first step is about grace. And our second step of faith is about grace. And our third step of faith is about grace. And every step of the journey is about faith in the grace and the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. The last obstacle that I'll put up this morning is that uh, we can be, uh, I think, um, we have the wrong measuring stick. We can be distracted by worldly success. I think in many ways, one of the curses to the American church is that we have too much, that we have, we have been blessed with an abundance of worldly goods that have caused, at least me and many times, I won't speak for you, but I think very often I've become more a disciple of the American dream than I have a disciple of Jesus. And the stuff I have a lot of times gets in the way, and that's just flat out the honest truth. And I don't know if you resonate with that or not. But I think there are, there are great obstacles that stand in my way because I get so consumed with what I have in the here and the now. But what if you take the opportunity? What, what if you grow strong in your faith? What if you follow Christ? What if you learn that, that distrust and wavering uh, doesn't need to be a part of your life and you stand more on a firm conviction in your faith? What's the outcome of this ongoing dynamic belief? Well, you have an ever-deepening um, spiritual maturity. You begin to see the world in a very different way. 
It doesn't mean that all your problems go away, but it means when the struggles come, when the storms kind of hit our lives, we have a context to understand that. It doesn't mean it will feel good. It doesn't mean that it will be easy. It doesn't mean that it will be simple. But it means that we will understand more and more and more about the grace of God. And the only thing that saves us in those moments when the waves really come and the storms of life want to beat the life out of us, it is only in those moments when the, when the spiritual maturity, when that faith takes hold, and you can say, you know what, even in the storm, I will praise him. I will trust him. He's always been faithful to me. I will not forsake him now. The promise you have in Scripture is not that everything will be okay, not that you won't have any problems, but that God will never leave you. God will not forsake you until you are in his presence in a perfect relationship with him for all of eternity, which leads to what it led to for, uh, for Abraham. It leads to a life that glorifies God. It leads to a life that says God gets all the credit. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. It's him and not me. And, and as, as Abraham, we too can become fully convinced of God's promises. We know that what he says is true and we built our lives upon it. So our journey with Jesus is a journey of growth. It's a journey of, of trusting in him. It's a journey that says it's not just for Abraham, but it's for me as well. And I can grow in my faith. And some of you maybe feel like you're stalled out this morning in your faith and, and that you're not growing. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how we can apply this passage if that's the case. And some of you may go, you know, gosh, I hadn't really thought of it the way Paul said it. But now that I think about it, I see how God's growing me in my faith. And isn't that amazing? And, and then you just want to praise him more. All of a sudden you're living that life of praise. It might, be, it might be a good revelation that's coming to you this morning that, wow, this is where faith leads. No, my circumstances aren't rosy and everything perfect, but my goodness, God is faithful and he is good and the praises do his name. So how do we apply this passage this morning? Uh, a couple of thoughts. One is remember that we are, to, we are growing strong in our faith, which means that my, my chief aim um, cannot be replaced with my personal agenda. It needs to be settled upon trusting God, that I will purposely say this is a life of faith. This is not a life of, of my efforts and my works that will come out of my faith, that will be born out of my faith, but my life is a life of faith. And I'm going to look at my world through that and I'm going to realize that it is a journey and that I, where I am today isn't where I'll be a year from now if the Lord doesn't come back. It's also being very honest about the obstacles. It's saying, yeah, the opportunity is there, but, but you might want to stop and just this afternoon, that's why I've kind of given you these blanks at the bottom of the page. As you go back and read through Romans 4, you might want to say, what are the obstacles in my life? Where am I not growing in Christ? Now, if you're going to ask that question, you've got to be willing to hear the answer, right? Okay? And you can't just ask that question of yourself, right? Scripture is very clear. The heart is desperately wicked. We all try to deceive. not growing in Christ. Not wicked. We all try to deceive ourselves. No man even really knows the, the own thoughts of his heart. So you need the body of Christ around you. So I'm going to invite you to get a friend or a spouse or somebody that knows you really well and say, hey, do you see any of these obstacles in my life? But when they point them out to you, don't cross your arms and get defensive and furrow your brow and tell them why they're wrong and how they've misunderstood your obstacles. Listen for the voice of God to speak truth and be ready to act upon what you hear. A few months ago, Cindy said, you got, I have a mole on the top of my back. She goes, you got something growing next to that mole. You ought to get that checked out. And I said, sure, I'll get it checked out. 
Um, and I didn't do anything about it. And then eventually I had a doctor's appointment for my, I'm 52 and I have my 50-year-old checkup. I'm catching up. And, uh, and my doctor, who has all of the bedside manner and, and, and kindness and compassion of a runaway freight train, is um, he's kind of doing the stethoscope on my chest. And he's looking around. He comes around on my back and he goes, oh, look, you have skin cancer on your back. And he just, like he said, oh, the sky is blue, <laughs> you know. And he keeps on talking about stuff. I'm like, wait, can we back up the, the, the bus just a little bit here? I, I think maybe you said, he goes, oh, yeah, but he goes, I think it's just a, a basal cell carcinoma. And I'm like, okay, great. And, and, and my doctor is a Christian, so I said, look, I could bring my Greek New Testament in here and read Greek to you, but you wouldn't understand it. So I respect you enough not to do that. What did you just say? I have no idea what you're talking about. And he goes, oh, it's nothing. But we're going to get you in to see the dermatologist this afternoon. To which I said, stop the bus again. How can nothing and have to go to the dermatologist this afternoon? This is not making sense to me. What are you really saying? And he's, and again, he's, he's, you know, he just kind of tells you and moves on with his day. He said, it's really nothing. He goes, I said, well, do I have to go today? Because now you can go. So I went the next week. And it turned out this thing called the basal cell is, is like the mildest thing. It's nothing. You get it scraped off and you move on with life. I mean, it is not a big deal. But, um, I had to be willing to act upon what he said. I had to be willing to go to a doctor and let him give me some shots and do something that was relatively painful, and I got to go back and do some more of that. And it wasn't any fun, and it's not going to be fun the next time I go back. But the doctor was telling me the truth. Now, I may have liked him to say it a little bit nicer, a little bit kinder, but the facts are he's trying to save my life. He said, I'm positive this is what it is. Let's get an expert to tell you that. Let's get it checked out. You ought to have people in your life that love you enough to tell you the truth. And if you really want to grow in your faith, you better have the willingness to listen and to allow them to speak into your life. We are not saved to an individual relationship with Jesus Christ. We are saved to a community of faith, not a community of works, a community of faith. Am I willing to hear your correction? Are you willing to hear what your brother or sister, your, your, your wife, your cousin, your business partner, another disciple of Jesus, when they tell you the truth? about some of these obstacles that may be in our lives? Are we willing to listen and act upon what we hear, which would lead to um, what I would consider praying specifically about the challenges in our lives, praying about those obstacles and the opportunities, asking God for wisdom and for perseverance, and then purposely being in a community of disciples who are seeking to grow in the same manner. The application of this text for each one of us is either as a person who doesn't know about Christ to take that step of faith and believe in him or for those of us who know Christ to say, I am going to purposely seek to grow not in my works but in my faith. And part of that is purposely joining myself in an in-depth, significant way with at least one other disciple of Jesus to walk in this journey of faith. We say at Green Tree, we want to do three things. We want to grow disciples. We want to renew communities and we want to plant churches. And I think that's, I love that. I, I love that phrase. I think it's what we ought to be doing. But I've added a little thing to it on the end. So I'm saying I want to grow disciples, including myself. I want to renew communities. And I want to plant churches because faith is growing in us.